0: There are times in history that are just supernatural and super critical, where everything has come together around this thing, this time. And if you think about where we are right now, you consider consider what it is that we're trying to remember right now. That is one of those things where when you see that that everything that's in Scripture, everything that, that God wrote down in the Bible is leading up to tonight. Everything that he said is leading up to right now. And I've been waiting since the first of December, so when we began this Advent journey together, to say this to you, hope has arrived. It's not on the way anymore. We're not waiting for it anymore. It's here. And I'm so glad that you've joined us for a celebration tonight of Christ's birth, because that long-waited time is upon us. And now we can confidently say that it is among us, and so we rejoice. And yet I wonder, instead of just rejoicing, if we're not just kind of breathing a sigh of relief as we get to sink into the chairs for a minute and forget about all the stuff that we still have to do. All the preparations we've been making. All the plans that we still have to enact. All the presents to wrap, the food to prepare, the traditions to keep, the house to clean, the ambiance to create, the in-laws to tolerate. By the way, my in-laws are here tonight, and I just want you to know that I'm very blessed and thankful that they are here. and in. So much trouble right now i 'm just going to keep moving forward um, but seriously though, I want to ask you tonight to consider the greatness of what we 're engaging in and consider if that may not have just been lost on us a little bit in the midst of all the other things that we 've got to contend with. Is there room for rejoicing in our hearts the way that God intends us to rejoice in this evening, rejoice in this time rejoice that everything that we learned about in the word is leading up to this moment when hope is not far off and hope is no longer on the way but hope is here and hope is at hand. In the narrative of Luke that we just read about Christ's birth, it's just another day in Bethlehem for a lot of folks. There's things to do, there's places to go, there's stuff to take care of. It's another day except that it's not just another day. I mean, first off, Caesar Augustus has decided somewhere far away in Rome to do a census and figure out the exact number and shape of his broadening empire. And it's not like it's for some noble purpose. It's not like he's getting ready to offer social services or something, right? He's not doing this so he can expand the health care. He's doing this for commercialism and for government. He's doing it so he can figure out exactly how much money is owed to him as emperor, right? And the only way to do this in ancient record keeping is to have everybody go back to the town of their birth. Because in that kind of culture, everybody's going to know if you're from here or not. And so the entire empire, not just Judea, the entire empire gets uprooted. As everybody's furiously traveling, sailing, riding, walking, doing whatever it is you can do to get back to their hometown. And if you think about what's going on and what that does to Bethlehem, it is absolutely taking everything and shaking it up. People are running around in a frenzy trying to get to where they're supposed to go. It throws the economy into a frenzy as these pilgrims are coming all over and having to buy things that they need in order to get to where they want to go, and the sellers are going out of their mind trying to get it to them. travel lodges everywhere putting up their no vacancy signs and the streets are clogged with people just trying to maneuver around each other to get home is any of that sounding familiar to you right now i'm just saying all right i i imagine the scene from a heavenly perspective looking like a bunch of little ants screwing around when their anthill gets kicked okay just everybody scrambling around head down trying to deal with all the stuff that's going on and just get through it until things get back to normal. And it's into this environment, Luke says. It's into this place that the salvation of the world kind of quietly and unassumingly comes into town. In the form of a tired carpenter from Nazareth, And his pregnant fiancé rode weary and searching for a place to birth her firstborn son. And after exhausting all of their other options, they find a small, small grace. There's a covered shelter somewhere. It might be behind a house. It might be under a house. It might be a little small cave next to a house. We don't really know. All we know is it's a space that was ordinarily for the feeding and the resting of animals. And it's into this bare and simple and, frankly, really ordinary environment that the most crucial event in history begins to unfold. For Luke, the way that this happens communicates volumes. And he makes it a point to thrust this scene into the front of the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't have to be a miraculous event or circumstance for God to be working a miracle. I mean, think about it. In the daily hustle and bustle of Judea, in the mix of everybody just trying to get their stuff done and take care of themselves, in the middle of the whims of some pagan dictator in some far-off land, in the middle of the turbulent times, in the mud and the dung and the hay of the world, that's where God is securing salvation for people who don't even know that it's happening. mean, God could have chosen circumstances that we would dub as better for him, but God didn't. This is the story that God chose to tell. Why? Because God is about taking the ordinary and making it miraculous. Because that's what he's doing with you and me every day. He is about changing the ordinary in you and me into something miraculous. And he shows it by bringing His interaction with the world in the middle of a stable on the outside of town, quietly, unassumingly. But you know, God, he's not going to keep secrets from us either. So he decides to let folks in on what's really going on in Bethlehem tonight. In Luke's account of the gospel, there are three angelic encounters that proclaim the advent of the Messiah, the coming of Christ. The first is to Zechariah to announce the birth of John, the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And the second is to Mary to let her know that she will birth the Messiah. And then the third is to some sleepy shepherds who are stuck on the night shift outside of town in the middle of nowhere. And you know, I've tried to I've tried time and again to translate who the shepherds might be in Victoria if this was happening tonight. And if it was happening here, who would he choose? And I'm not really sure. But, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities, okay? I mean, think about the guys that are working the docks over in a malt right now and are going to be working the night shift. Maybe it's them. They're unloading all these boxes for stuff that everybody needs for Boxing Day. You know? They're doing that right now while the rest of us are going home and, you know, drinking eggnog or whatever it is we're going to do, Right? Or maybe it's the uh, the food service clerks that are pulling the eleven to seven shift at the Seven Eleven or the Tim Hortons or the McDonald's. And they're going to be up all night while everybody else is celebrating Christmas Eve. Maybe it's the tow truck operator or locksmith. You know who's going to be on call. I don't know. I hope you got somebody else to do that. Is that you? All right. I love you, man. All right. Seriously. You know, for for when you know we get home and we realize that we left the keys like the inside of the house when we lock the door, you know, please come for me, Ryan, maybe in a while. I might pay extra. I don't know. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the firefighters and the EMT guys and the the police officers and the security guards that are going to be keeping watch over our entire town while we sleep. Whoever these people are, They're in this strata of society that's like in the invisible strata. They're the people that are doing the jobs that we don't care to know about at times when we care to not be conscious. Okay? That's who these shepherds are. They may be walking and working and living right around us, but we don't see them all the time. We don't notice what they do all the time. They're effectively on the outside. And it's to these people, the people on the outside. It's not the rich or the powerful or the privileged. It's these people on the outside. Those are the ones that God delivers the voice of the heavenly host proclaiming the birth of Messiah. And Luke's just as intentional about throwing that to the front of the gospel. It's the poor, ordinary people like you and me, as the song goes, that the gospel is given, not to somebody with exceptional birth or exceptional position, or exceptional credentials. The King of Kings comes to save everybody. doesn't matter who you are. He's come for you. And what a proclamation that is. I'm not really sure about what the shepherds being sore afraid actually means in all these early King James versions that I read as a kid, but I suspect that the original Greek nuance... Might have probably translated into in need of a change of their linen undergarments, okay these are these are angels we 're talking about okay and, and and I'm sorry, but we have done a disservice to make these things like turn into like basically little babies in like cloth diapers with wings, okay, or more lately we kind of have started to picture them as like Fabio and chainmail or something i don 't but, like, the pictures that we see do not do justice to what these angels are. Huge. Otherworldly. Unmistakably powerful. And God lights up the sky with not one, but a whole host of them. And I am hope I'm not blowing up any... I hope I'm not blowing up your like, Christmas hymns or anything, but when we sing angels we have heard on high singing sweetly over the plains, that's not what's happening. Okay? When, 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 whenever we use the word the heavenly host, as Luke uses it, he's not talking about a choir. He's talking about an army. Okay? God sends special forces to shout his proclamation that he is done leaving the world to its own devices and he's here to clean up and do business but here's the great thing and this is the other this is the this is the most important message of the entire birth of christ is that god sends his frontline seal team 6 group not to bring justice to a sinful world that needs to get theirs and now god's going to come do business that's not what he does Look at what they say. They shout glory to God in the highest and on earth to all humanity. Peace and joy. For His favor rests on you. How crazy is that? It's never been done before or since. And it's not a restriction, by the way. It's an inclusion, in case you missed that. The whole world, regardless of race, ethnicity, belief, status, stature, or apparent value, is greatly favored by God. For he's ordained that this unassuming birth in a manger is actually going to be the hope that has arrived for everyone. The Savior of all. The only question is, is who's going to notice and who's not? Who's going to answer and who's not? Who's going to let him be who he is and who's not? The message of this Advent is all wrapped up in the last part of our reading, I think. It's all about the response of these shepherds. I mean, think of what they could have done. They could have said, man, do you believe that? That's crazy. That's unbelievable. God coming as a baby in a feeding trough? Forget about it. Even if we did see the sky light up, it's just its too incredible to believe. They could have come up with all kinds of logical reasons of why God would never do that. They could have just said, well, that's neat. And then return to their life as usual. But that's not what they do, is it? They drop everything. They leave the sheep to fend for themselves. It's usually not wise if you're a shepherd. Because sheep are silly. But they just drop everything and they say, come, let's go see what's going on. And they are rewarded for their faith. They're rewarded for believing that what God said is true is true. And even though the world around them would say that they have no business being that close to the righteous one, again, that's one of Luke's great messages throughout, is that those who might be supposed to be recognizing the Messiah, they don't. And those who have no business being near Him, they're the ones that get welcomed in. And so they get a chance to see and hold and marvel and rejoice that salvation's at hand and that the hope of all nations is here among them. Like everybody that would come after him that would believe in Jesus, they are the ones who recognize him, they are the ones who respond to him, and they are the ones who find that they have been given a seat at the table of forgiveness and the table of mercy. That is the message of Christmas, that hope has arrived, and it's here for you and me. And that when we believe, when we respond, when we take God at his word, we find that there's a seat at the table of grace, that there's a seat at the table of mercy for you and me. Doesn't matter where we've been, doesn't matter who we are. There's a seat for you. That's the message of Christmas. While the rest of the world is caught up in self-importance in Bethlehem, while they're running around doing their thing, eyes down, those who are willing to look up and see what God is doing see God making the miraculous out of the ordinary. And they embrace the hope that has come, and they find themselves fully fulfilled. And so the question tonight is, who are you and I going to be in that story? Is there room in our hearts to see this subtle unassuming Savior that changes everything by taking on flesh and moving into the neighborhood with us? Will we rejoice in that? Will we respond to that? Or have our hearts been so filled with other things, tasks and stuff and priorities and events and relationships and work and frustrations and cares, and I could go on and on. Have we been so filled up with those things that Christ is camping in the margins of our town and we don't even know he's there? See, this isn't to beat you up on Christmas Eve. Okay? I don't know. Farthest thing from it. This is a plea of love and encouragement <laughs> for you tonight. Receive God's peace tonight and rejoice in Him. Don't miss what He's doing here as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. This realization that, like all those who were anticipating Him then, his coming again is very near, and it won't be subtle last time, but I guarantee it's probably going to catch us all by surprise. So do we have our eyes up to see, do we believe in who he is, and do we believe in what he's doing? Let's be like the shepherds who respond and rejoice, who are changed, who allow themselves to be changed by what they've seen and what they've heard and what they believe. Let's welcome Him into our world because... Hope's no longer on the way. Hope's arrived. And he is mighty to save us. And so let's rejoice and let's worship him now. Let's stand together.